Today, we have three very interesting guests stopping by uh, the Richard Krauss Show. John Brooks, uh, I love this quote, I'm not interested in happy songs. That's what John Brooks says. I'm even less interested in writing unhappy songs. So we'll get to know singer, songwriter, and four-time songwriter of the year nominee, John Brooks. Uh, the new CD is called No One Travels Alone, and it's available on Borealis Records. We'll actually hear a little bit of that later on. Rick McGinnis is also joining us. Uh, four years ago, Toronto photographer uh, Rick McGinnis began a modest blog, these are in your own words, called Some Old Pictures I Took. And it soon turned into an epic exploration into his value, his failings, and his purpose. And it's fascinating stuff. Now, you've stopped updating it now, but mm. people can still have a look at it, oh, right? Oh, it's still online, yeah. Okay, so we'll get to that in just a little bit. And Anthony Lemke, familiar voice uh, to those who have listened to uh, the show for the past few years. Uh, you are an ambassador with uh, humanity and inclusion, plus an actor. You know uh, him from uh, Dark Matter, and you were on the Francis Drake show. Now, mm -hmm. the Francis Drake Mysteries. That's yeah, indeed Frankie Drake Mysteries. Yeah, Frankie Drake Mysteries. And uh, Blind Spotting. You were a <laughs> bad man on Blind Spotting. Yes, I, I did end up with a. Uh, in fact, I ended up with. This, is, this relates to a conversation prior to coming on air. I did end up shanked and stabbed. And I wonder if they used the watermelon uh, for oh, that. Oh, yeah. Okay. So we were talking yeah. earlier before we started. <laughs> we were talking earlier about. Uh, sound effects. And, and yeah. one of the things that they do to, and I, this is kind of common knowledge, it doesn't give away the trade secrets, <laughs> but you know, for a stabbing sound, you stab a watermelon because it's got yeah. the same kind yeah. of stabbing sound. And I used to do a show next to a special effects studio. And when I wanted to get away from the live audience, I used to go to the Foley room and I would just run up and down the stairs. I had a giant staircase that had like a gravel side, uh, a tile side, there was a carpeted <laughs> side, or they had a thunder machine They had, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And every now and again, you'd go in and there'd be pieces of watermelon on the floor. And I'd be like, oh, I guess they're stabbing awesome. people on the show today. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So you were stabbed, blind, <laughs> blind spotting. I was I was stabbed on blind spot, yes. <laughs> after, after a really fun arc, so I can't complain. Yeah. And you shot that in Morocco or somewhere exotic? Yep. Yeah, we were in uh, Morocco and in New York. It was uh, it was both. That blind Spot's got a a, a pretty fascinating uh, producing model where they uh, partnered with uh, an international guy who's made it his job essentially to make shooting uh, abroad cheaper than shooting, shooting locally. And yeah. so, if you watch Blind Spot, they are all over the world like a James Bond movie. And uh, and in the end, it it it's actually economically viable because this new business model, this guy, and I met the guy, he was there. Um, and yeah, fascinating stuff. Yeah. Sort of tax credits, all the stuff that I don't understand <laughs> about how TV shows get made. But you do understand watermelons. I do understand watermelons and staircases with lots of different textures on them. Um, let's, uh, I want to start with John. Uh, John, your new CD is called No One Travels Alone. Um, tell me, what came first for you? You're a storyteller in a lot of ways in, in the songs that you write. What came first you, for you? Was it the, the stories or the music? Okay, well, what came... I, I, I did start this career um, back in 2005 as a, as a storyteller. Um, but uh, over time, uh, it, it, it occurred to me that the idea of the, the linear ballad uh, was no longer such a relevant uh, form for song. Um, you know, the, 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 we live in the age of 24-7 news cycle, mm -hmm. Wikipedia, Internet, um, the days where we needed uh, troubadours like Woody to go around the world, you know, selling, uh, telling stories, selling yeah. stories, telling stories. 
um, no longer such a need for that. Uh, the songwriter's job in the 21st century is to, is to I think, to elicit uh, uh, wonder and, uh, and, and to maybe spark um, that, that, that old idea of conversation again. And, and how do you do that when you're, when you're sitting down to write a song? Have you blown up the idea of what the, the songs are, or is it the ideas that you present in the songs? Well, with, lately, what I've been doing is uh, before when I when I feel like it's it's getting time to uh, to do a, a new album, uh, I try to I try to uh, put my um, my figurative hand on the pulse of the of the soul of the of the times, mm -hmm. and I ask myself, what's the central tension of the age? And with this album... There's no shortage of that right now. Yeah, there is not. And I, I do want to ask that question. What is the central tension of our age right now? Well, I'm, 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 for me, it was, uh, the answer was twofold. It was, um, it was, it was, it was, it was uh, it, the relationship between uh, humanity and, and the environment and the fact that there are currently 65 million people homeless around the world, uh, the refugee crisis, in short. Um, so I wanted to, to tackle these things, and I didn't want to do it in some overt way. I, um, and I discovered, um, um, I guess, back through my, my, my English education, um, an idea, um, and I stole this for this album, uh, an idea from the uh, Elizabethan Sonneteers, uh, an idea called the Corona, John Donne had a, had, a, had a series of sonnets called the, Cor the, Corona, um, the Corona Sonnets, in which the last line of every piece became the first line right. of the following piece until yeah. you got to the very end, and the last line became a circle or a ring or uh, Spanish for crown, the Corona, yeah, yeah. linking all the songs together. Um, the idea of the album, uh, in a word, was our essential interconnectedness. So why not match that theme with the actual form of the album and do something that, to my knowledge, has, not, has thus far haven't, hasn't been done in, right. in popular music. So I, I, I used this form, and so uh, like the songs, we are also all interconnected. And the, the album, just so you know, is called No One Travels Alone. It's available on Borealis Records. I'm sure it's available wherever you buy music, but also iTunes. There's got to be a Borealis website out there, borealisrecords.com. Uh, you can find it there. That's exactly it. So do you find, uh, mm. when you're playing this record live, do you play the whole, the, the whole thing as it was originally planned, sort of as a, a song cycle, or do you pick and choose songs from it? Well... I'm known for being unknown, so this being my sixth album, yeah. if I play a song from my second album back in 2007, it's still new to most audiences I right. play. So right. what I what I do is I, 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 I will feature four songs in a row from the new album in one set, and probably do maybe three more in the in the, in the later set. But I still do I still do a handful of songs uh, that I still consider relevant. I'm speaking to John Brooks. Uh, the new album was called No One Travels Alone, available on Borealis Records. Um, there's a couple of things here uh, that I found really interesting. Uh, you played with the Headstones. You were a keyboard player. The Headstones, yes. Uh, I was a keyboard player in earlier life. I went to Humber College for jazz piano um, and because I wanted to be Thelonious Monk. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, that, that, that dream evaporated quickly and I... I <laughs> 
took uh, uh, what was um, bequeathed to me from my grandfather um, some money, and I spent it all on a Hammond organ and joined a blues rock band in the early 90s and uh, ended up playing with the Headstones for a little bit. And to this day, I'm confused as to why I make more money in royalties from the songs I played Hammond organ in those right. in that first Headstones album than I do on, the six uh, on other my seats. six albums combined. <laughs> Something's up with that. But Something is up with that. Maybe it's just a, be- a different deal. It was a different time. Yeah, there was money in the and music I didn't, industry. I didn't have then? any writing credits. I was just playing organ. Wow. I remember. I remember the guitar. Pl- I remember went into the studio and the producer got all excited. We they, they hired me for one track and they and the guitar player said, "Let's try this song." And then try this one. And I think we did four or five songs. And then and then and back in the corner, there rose this 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 horrifying figure. I didn't even know he was there. It was Hugh. Yeah. And he just said. Well, I can't say what he yeah. said, but we're not, we don't want to hire the guy. <laughs> and then he went back down. <laughs> what? Yeah. That, it was a different time in Hugh's life. Wow. It was Let's a very different that. time yeah, in Hugh's very life. Very different time in Hugh's life. Yeah. I remember him as very sweet and generous, actually. Yeah. I, I, you know, he was a, he, he, a great myth maker. Rick, you must have photographed the headstones. I did. Hugh Dillon. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, it was in it was in their first phase of their career, probably probably around the time you worked with them. Um, and I just recall the shots when I finally dug them up again and put them on the blog. Um, the only thing I could think of to describe them is this is what it looks like when you're lying on the floor of the bar and you look up and you see the guys who put you there. And that's what the shot looked like. I mean, that was very much their image at the time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was that's pretty much my sole experience with Hugh. And he's had an interesting. He's had an interesting trajectory. Well, he made a left turn into acting, which, which, uh, have you ever worked with him as an actor, Anthony? I have uh, never worked with him as no. an actor, no. no. I mean, I've been on shows he's been on, but yeah. uh, we have not shared scenes. Right. Because he made this crazy left turn and became a, a, a popular actor after that, which... Uh, but he's still, he's still, he still has something that terrifies and inspires me. Like, yeah. I just saw Wind River again, right. again for the second time just a couple days ago, yeah. and... Uh, you know, I don't want to dwell on the headstones too much, but but I do uh, I do I do try to emulate that spirit of terror that he brought to the stage. Right. That's always excited me, and I don't know if it, I think that people, whether they whether they're aware of it or not, want to feel some unease. Mm-hmm. I think it's um, uh, it, it it's unease and it's it this notion of unpredictable. If you think mm, of all the yeah. great front men. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically men I, 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 that I think of when, when I think about this notion of unpredictability, someone like Gord Downey, yeah. he was never terrifying, but he was always unpredictable. And uh, you see those concerts, you're like, what's he going to do? What's he going to say right now? He's riffing in the middle of a, of a song and it's not the song. And, you know, that kind of unpredictability, you know, Hugh had for the Headstones for sure. And that's why Iggy Pop yeah. is a genius. Yeah. We'll be back <laughs> in just a couple of minutes uh, with uh, my conversation with John Brooks. We're going to talk a little bit more about No One Travels Alone. And I want to find out what happened when you went to Bosnia Herzegovina uh, in 1997. Rick McGinnis is here. We'll talk about his photography the blog, a couple of books, and Anthony Lemke here from Humanity and Inclusion. Stay with us. The rose, the marigold, and daisy, the orchid, the lily, 
of the valley they sing it they all sing it the myrtle looks at the lotus in the poppy consoles and sings us a hymn they sing it and we all join in the blue bonnets and camellias indian that is just a little sample of the new John Brooks album. It's called No One Travels Alone, and that song is called... Todos Caminamos por Este Caminito. So you not only write in English, you write in Spanish as well. I've, I've attempted a bit of Ojibwe, a bit of Gaelic, French, woefully. Um, yeah, but... Um, but that's but, beautiful. That song is beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. That's... Um, that, that I consider that one a success. It's a it's a protest song that is disgustingly happy and upbeat as, at the same time. There's a there's a lovely open sound in the production. It sort of reminds me of the kind of stuff you hear from from, from Austin, places like, like you're from G- Austin. No 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 no, no. just uh, like Jimmy Dale Gilmore's records. Oh that yeah kind of yeah, it's that kind of sound. Yeah. Thank you. That that's a, <laughs> that's a huge compliment. I <laughs> love the Flatlanders and. You took uh, some time off from writing songs, uh, from music, about eight years, in fact. So and why? Why so? Well, um, like Young Love, all bands need to dissolve. Mm-hmm. And um, I followed a woman to Poland in 1996, I think it was, and uh, um, ended up in Eastern Europe. Um and uh, during the time when I wasn't, uh, uh, I bought a guitar before I left to celebrate my defeat. It's important that we celebrate our defeats as well as our successes. I, listen, I understand that. I think failure is just as important. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Samuel Beckett, fail, fail again, fail better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, Fall down six times, get up seven. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um so actually, I, I was going to jump in here because there, yeah. there's this really wonderful story I uh, I heard about this you know serial entrepreneur who has kids and, yeah. as as do I and you know most people at the dinner table they'll be like how was your day you know what went well today what were you happy about and what this guy uh, his theory on life was the only way that I'm really going to raise successful people is that if they see failure as literally n- not a thing at all I could have. I could have been eating a popsicle or I could have tried something and failed. And so he asks his kids at the dinner table, so what did you do today that you failed at? (laughs) And if they said nothing, he's like, well, guess you better try something new tomorrow. It's true. If you know, that was the voice of Anthony Lemke. We'll be talking about humanity and inclusion and the Frankie Drake mysteries and that a little bit later on. Rick McGinnis also here uh, joining us. Uh, But that's so true. Failure is a very important part of moving forward, I think. I fail every night on stage. There's, there's <laughs> no way around it. You have yeah. to learn to love humiliation and failure if yeah. you're gonna if you're gonna be on the stage. You know that. Right? <laughs> I know that in life. It's not just the stage, but anyway, yes. Um, so there I was in Eastern Europe, and between uh, what I was doing in Krakow, Poland, for a year, I I decided here's the opportunity. I was about 28 at the time, I guess, and I and coming from suburban uh, uh, Ontario, uh, King City, Ontario. Um, I had the arrogant notion that um, if I just get a backpack and go to Bosnia, I'll be able to understand what's happening there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went. 
I remember uh, sitting on a bus uh, from from Zagreb, Croatia, down through Banja Luka all the way to Sarajevo, some of the most beautiful landscape in the world, um, set against uh, a war zone and carnage and disaster in what was once a multicultural host of the Olympics. Um, Sitting on a bus there, I was lucky to be beside the only other English speaker, and he was a a member of Doctors Without Borders, and I remember getting off at the bus station and him saying to me, and I remember, and thinking back on it now, I know he sat beside me because he knew this kid probably needs a bit of my (laughs) guidance here. He said, uh, if if you leave this place with more answers than questions, you'll have learned nothing. Be careful. Wow. It was there when I discovered that there that, that I did want to be a songwriter again. Um, but of course, I also knew uh, shortly after that the kind of songs I, I need I wanted to write required um, a, a much deeper education, and so I went back to school. Now we'll talk more uh, with John uh, and about his career and about the new album, which is called No One Travels Alone on Borealis Records. But I wanted to kind of tie in Rick McGinnis here. So Rick McGinnis uh, is a photographer. I've been looking at your pictures for 30 years, probably. Probably, yeah. Yeah, and reading your words, a journalist as well. Uh, But a new blog, or it's now the old blog. There's a new one now since this, but a blog that you you did sort of as a retrospective. You found photographs, you had boxes of photographs, you went through them, and I thought it was really interesting, and I can't find the exact quote here in my notes, but you say something like, uh, it forced me to confront, you know, my struggle, my failures, my everything, by just having a look back at this vast body of work that, that laid behind you. Well, failure, yeah, that's the operative word. That was the first thing I thought when I started it. The genesis is pretty simple. I was sitting around moping, basically. I'd been laid off from a job that I'd had for eight years, um, not long before that. Um, And my wife saw me sitting in my office moping, and she said, look, you'd you'd better do something. You just can't sit there feeling bad for yourself. Why don't you make yourself a project? And she said, look, look behind you. You got all those negatives sitting in binders. They've done nothing. Um, They're just sitting there moldering. Why don't you you pull a few out, see if there's anything worthwhile? Get one of those cheap blogs that cost nothing. Yeah, blog spot, blog, blog, or whatever, blog spot yeah. in this case, yeah. and just just start putting stuff up. See see what's there. See if see if it's any any of it's any good. See if you like it. And that was really a challenge for me because at that point I had a very low estimation of my work. I really didn't look back on my work very fondly, and I thought, oh, I mean, there's a few things that are all right, but this is going to be humiliating. <laughs> I'm going to be going through all this stuff and reminding myself of like where I failed, where I didn't go as far as I should, where I should have done something different. Oh, it's going to be awful, but I'll do it because I got nothing else to do besides my wife told me to. <laughs> so I, um, I, I started and, uh, I knew that at some point towards the end of the project, I would have to write a post about failure, about this sense of failure and having um, let myself down at certain points, um, made decisions that um, I might have regretted. It's not a happy thing to contemplate. So I put it off for four and a half years and just kept digging out more work and more work and more work. and I would talk to friends about it and say, you know, but I still haven't written the post about failure yet. That's that's going to come up. That's going to be there at the end. And and let's leave it there. We'll come back sure. on the other side of the break and we'll talk about uh, the blog and, and how writing about failure was actually a great thing. Yeah. Stay with us. My guest in the studio, we have John Brooks. 
Uh, a little earlier, we heard some of his new album called No One Travels Alone. It's available on Borealis Records. And we're going to come back and talk a little bit more with John. But I'm balancing two other guests in here. Anthony Lemke is here. Uh, Anthony Lemke will talk about uh, the UN's International Day for Persons with Disabilities. He's an ambassador for humanity and inclusion. You know him from uh, Frankie Drake Mysteries, from Dark Matter, uh, from Blind Spot, lots of things. We'll get to, to Anthony shortly. Uh, Rick McGinnis, you were just in the middle of talking about uh, the reason that you wrote this blog, which was a time filler when you had been laid off from a job. Uh, and it turned into something else for you. It turned into writing more personal stuff and finding worth in work, I think. The feeling I got from reading it was finding work worth in work that you thought perhaps was essentially ephemeral, was worthless. Well, I mean, every photographer has that sense that, um, especially I worked mostly in newsprint mm -hmm. most of my career. And newsprint, as we all know, is birdcage liner. Yeah. Um, it's the most disposable thing out there, besides possibly... Uh, the internet, but I'm not really, still not so sure about that. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. actually might. The internet's forever. Newspapers it, aren't. Yeah. That's what I'm coming around to. Anyways, so I, I started digging up all this work, and there's a few shoots I did that I kind of look back fondly, and they are ironically enough ones I did early on, and ones that had never been published. Mm -hmm. One of them was with an African musician named Fela Kuti. Yeah, yeah. Um, who uh, I was a huge fan in the '80s. He came to town for a show at the concert hall, mm -hmm. um, and. I talked my way in. I had no, nobody assigned me. There was no client. It was just something I desperate. You could do that in the 80s. You could. Yeah, it was you can't do that anymore, I don't think. Yeah, and so I talked my way in, and I took some portraits of him. It was, he's one of the single most intimidating men I ever met in my life. Um, he took a break between the two roles I shot of him uh, to, for an hour so he could smoke what were essentially a series of the largest joints <laughs> I'd ever seen anyone inhale in my life. You know, the Withnil and I, Camberwell yeah, yeah. Carrot? Yeah. That was basically what we were dealing with. Right. Um, and I, I took these shots, and I was very proud of them, but they never got published anywhere until I put them up on the blog. Uh, about a year and a half, two years after I put them up, his, his manager, a guy named Ricky Stein, who had been his lifelong manager, f contacts me out of nowhere and says, we're doing a box set, uh, seven of his albums, Erica Badu's writing the liner notes, she's chosen the records that are going to be in this box set. Um, I've never seen these photos before. We want to use them all over the box. Um, so I thought, well, great, they finally get yeah, used. Yeah, yeah, they get yeah. used somewhere. And that was... 30 years later. 30 yeah. years later, they finally got used on this. And now they've sort of started in the, in the time that since that they've been published, they've kind of become a little bit, bit iconic. People have ripped them off for posters. Mm. Um, I've seen this image reproduced over and over, you know, often not with any money coming to me, but that's yeah, yeah. just the way it works. Um, I don't mind because if I can, if I can create an image that is iconic of somebody who I admire, that's kind of the job. I, mean, I used to love these, these images of people like Miles Davis that, that I, I grew yeah. up looking at. And I thought, wow, if I could do something of that, like that, of a musician I admire, you know, I, I don't know about my reputation, but it would at least have the work out there and it would have a life. And what's the blog called? It's called someoldpicturesitook.blogspot.com. And so you can check that out. It's mm. it's not being updated anymore. You have put that one to bed. Yes. It, it, and and the, the post on, the retrospective post, the post yeah. on failure, yeah. the post on all that stuff was the final entry, and it was, that was it. That you. was it, yeah. I, after four and a half years, 
What happened was halfway through, I, I became excited about shooting again. Mm. I hadn't been shooting. I hadn't especially done portraits in a long time. And I, I became interested in shooting portraits again. So I set myself a challenge. I thought, okay, there's some people coming to town. I'll do exactly what I did back then. I'll talk my way yeah, in yeah. with no client, no nothing. So the first person I shot was um, a guy, came, guy named Kinky Friedman, who's from Austin, Texas. I love Kinky Friedman. Not only is a great singer and songwriter, as John's nodding his head, but also wrote an incredible series of mystery Detective novels. novels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I talked my way into that, and uh, I got some shots I really liked. And I got to, I interviewed Kinky for about an hour on the phone, um, and he's a fascinating guy. Yeah, ran uh, for president. Uh, ran for governor a of governor, Texas. Yeah. I've got a couple of the T-shirts from his, yeah. his campaign. I like, you know, he's just, he's a hero of mine. So I did that, and I, I was really pleased with the results. So I decided I was going to start photographing people I really admired when they came through town, if I could talk my way in, um, basically because I thought, I, 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 they probably don't have a hell of a lot of time left. Right. I'm looking at finite time. I'm in my 50s now. Um, I really need to get these people. I want to get a good portrait of these people before they're gone. There's a lot of people I always wanted mm -hmm. to photograph. Lux Interior from the Cramps and never right. got my chance. Um, so uh, James Chance, James White and the Blacks, yeah, yeah, James yeah. Chance and the Contortions, he yeah. came through town. He was in terrible pain. Uh, he has terrible back, and it was the end of a show. But I got this great portrait session with him. I recently did a shoot with Robert Gordon, the rock and oh, yeah, singer. Yeah. Um, which turned out really well. Chris Spedding as well yeah. was with him. Um, so that I got both of them at the same time. I'd shot Chris Spedding at the beginning of my career in the early, in the mid eighties when he was in town with John Cale. So I managed to get a bookend right. where I got him in the mid eighties and then 30 years later, you know, I, I love that kind of thing yeah. where you show 30 years age is such a. Was a Robert Gordon at the Cadillac? No, he was at Hughes Room. Okay, because um, Sam used to right. always bring him. Yeah, Sam always Grosso used to. used to bring him in. Sam yeah. Grosso gave me my first gig as a songwriter. Is that back, right? Eh? Back yeah. at Graffiti's way back. Uh, oh, I wow. I, I, I loved Graffiti's. This Now, for people listening outside of Toronto, they don't know what we're talking about. Graffiti's was a great Kensington uh, market, cool bar that, that uh, gave a lot of people a break when no one else would give them a break. That's, that was me. Man. Yeah. That was Sam, yeah. And and so you've got a, a collection of books that you've put together. Yeah. Um, and and they're cool because the idea was, as you said earlier, a lot of the stuff that you took uh, photographs of was meant for the newspaper. So it's reproduced so poorly in terribly, the newspaper. Terrible. Uh, you wanted to have nice, yeah, um, quality copies of these out in the world. I always, in my mind, I was a magazine photographer, even though the reality was that I very rarely shot for magazines. But you shot for Spin and a few I, other people like that. I shot like for that. Spin. Yeah. Um, a, a shot I... <laughs> a shot I did in the late 80s of Jay McInerney, the writer, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, on my own as well. I did it as a portfolio piece. Um, I always looked at it and thought, wow, that would look great in the New Yorker. But nobody's going to publish me in the New right. Yorker. I put it on the blog. 30 years later, I get a call. It, show, it ends up being printed in the New Yorker. Now, isn't this, there's a lesson here about oh. self-doubt or something like that. Of which I uh, have a lot. Yeah, yeah. But there's a lesson here about, you know, having the confidence to, to approach the New Yorker and not have them approach you 30 I, they years approached, ago. No, they approached me. Oh. I just put it out there. I just published it. No, that's it. what I mean, but approaching yeah. them 30 years ago. Oh, they would have. You they, didn't do no, it. never would have happened. Because the only people they were, at that point, the only person they were publishing was Avedon. Right. He was the only <laughs> photographer they were publishing in the New, in, in the New Yorker at that point. So it, was, it never would have happened. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, 30 years passed. They were publishing a lot more photography in the, in the magazine. 
And I had one of the few photos of McInerney from that period that no one had ever right. seen. Right. So that was kind of the, the great advantage of that. And now there's a trio of, they're, yeah. they're photo zines, they're yeah. called, right? So they're, they're, they're magazines. Yeah, magazines. They're 30, 40 pages. 32 pages yep. um, with cover and back. And uh, one is called Music. And it's nothing but portraits of musicians because that was the first people I ever photographed as mm -hmm. musicians because I started in the punk rock scene yep. um, here in Toronto. So I have tons of photographs of musicians in that one. And the other one's called Stars. And it's all celebrities because everybody loves celebrities. It's the first thing people ask you about who right. have you photographed. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I got to tell them about all these famous people. <laughs> so and you, got, you were here. You got to see the diodes, I bet. No, I didn't. No? I well, didn't. The vile I was, tones? No. I, uh, no, I've, I've spent a lot of time in places with, with uh, uh, Stephen Lecky. Even those Steven guys, yeah. yeah. Think if I could go back in time, that'd be one of the areas I'd I was, go see. I was just too young, and it turns out I was mistaken as well. Um, I'm friends with Gary Top, the promoter yeah. here. He's actually helped me get a couple of these shoots that I, I've shot recently. And um, I remember saying to Gary, "Oh man, I would have loved to seen all those things you did at the Horseshoe and yeah. the Edge, but I was too young." And he goes. I used to let in people who are underage all the time. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry, you get a, well, you would have got in. <laughs> yeah, thanks oh! for thanks for thanks for telling me now. Yeah, the diodes. Uh, uh, no, it was the Demix. I loved the Demix because oh, yeah. they had a song called I Want to Go to New York City, yes. which was the way that everyone who was in Toronto felt at that moment, you know. Um, uh, so the other one is called Square. Square. Square is the most personal of the three because it's uh, it's almost entirely just work I did for myself. Right. It's all in the square format, which mm. is my favorite way of shooting, the old Roloflex, Hasselblad yep. kind of thing. Um, and it's mostly... Landscapes, still life, stuff, stuff I've shot while traveling. Um, it's the stuff that looks more the most like ideas, images I've had in my mind mm -hmm. since I was a kid growing up next to the Kodak plant here in Toronto. Um, I've always had a kind of, I think, I think every photographer has a handful of pictures in their head and they spend their whole career trying to take those pictures right. over and over and over again. And that's what I, that's what Square is. Square is my attempt to basically take those photos. Rick McGinnist is my guest. Uh, how can people find Music Square and Stars? Um, they're available on Blurb, the Blurb bookstore, um, blurb.com, blurb.ca, mm -hmm. blurb, there's blurbs every, in every continent. Um, or you can, uh, there's a link through my new blog, rickmcginnisphotographs.wordpress.com, which is where I'm putting new work. Um, but there's a link to the bookstore there. Um, they're $14.99 Canadian. And, uh, yeah. And worth every penny. When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Anthony Lemke. We're going to talk about the UN's International Day for Persons with Disabilities. Stay with us. In studio, I have a, a really interesting trio of people. John Brooks is here. Uh, his new album is called No One Travels Alone. It's available on Borealis Records. Rick McGinnis is here. There are three photo zines, these magazines you can buy of his favorite work from the past 30 years or so. Uh, music, Square, and Stars, and they're available at blurb.ca or .com, depending on where you're listening to this uh, show. And now Anthony Lemke. I want to introduce you to Anthony Lemke. You know his voice if you're a listener of this show. Uh, you have seen him on uh, Dark Matter starring role on Dark Matter, Frankie Drake Mysteries, uh, which stars Lauren Lee Smith in the title role, and Anthony Lemke alongside her. Uh, uh, Blind Spot, loads, loads and loads and loads of other things, too. Mm -hmm. uh, but one of the things that you've talked about the last couple of times you've been here mm -hmm. uh, is H.I., which has recently changed its name. <laughs> yes. So there, it used to be called a Handicapped International. Yeah. That has been uh, updated and, and sort of made a little bit more modern uh, with the times. It's now called 
called Humanity in, and Inclusion. And uh, tell us what that is. The first time you were here, we talked about uh, landmines and and mm-hmm. and uh, clearing la- large tracts of land with these bombs that have been left over from the Vietnam War from you know forty yeah, years in ago Laos, yeah. in Laos. It's this is a different topic that they're covering today. Yeah, it's a, it's a different topic. It's um, well, first off, for those of you who who don't know Humanity Inclusion, formerly Handicap International, it's uh, an NGO that uh, deals with people, the most vulnerable people in the world, essentially uh, those living with disabilities in conflict zones and natural disasters. So, if you imagine what it must be like to live through. You talked about refugees, John, 65 million in the world. Well, imagine what it's like to lose your home, but then now imagine it when you're living with a disability and you have to flee, um, you know, terrible situations to another terrible situation, the refugee camps. Um, So Handicap International and now Humanity and Inclusion, um, it has changed for the reasons that you might imagine. Mm -hmm. Uh, 35 years ago when the organization was founded by a Francophone, a Frenchman, um, the word handicap had different connotations. And, um, you know, as, as the times change, the name changes, though the H and the I stay the same yeah. <laughs> uh, for folks who don't speak English uh, in the field. They are, uh, handi- handi- uh, humanity and Inclusion is um, active in about 60 different uh, theaters around the world, um, mostly former conflict zones and current conflict zones. And their mission's very, very simple. It's uh, walk alongside those people that uh, the world has neglected. And right now, uh, according to the, the press release I have in front of me, um, they're making efforts in Bangladesh. Yeah. Um, I mean, listen, the situation in, in Myanmar, I mean, everyone's heard uh, the term Rohingya. Uh, yeah. It's a term that has recently surfaced in, into the public consciousness, uh, certainly certainly for me. Um, humanity and inclusion has been there since 1997. Most people who, who have heard the term Rohingya understand that it's a, it's a massive refugee crisis. There's 700,000 refugees, right? Yeah, I mean, in total. I mean, Myanmar is a fascinating country when you read a little bit about the history of the country. Um, and uh, there are many, over 100 uh, ethnicities that they have personally identified, that they have identified within their, within their own country. Um, one of which is the Rohingyas. Um, they are largely a stateless minority. They, uh, a law was passed in 1982 that essentially uh, did not allow them to get citizenship. So now they're in a country that they've been in for hundreds of years yeah. and they cannot be citizens. Um, and there have been systematic um, re- repression techniques over the past years. And this is actually not the first refugee crisis uh, in my lifetime. There have been three. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first was in the 70s, the second was in the 90s, and then now. And every time there's repatriation and they go back into situations that are unlivable, largely because they are essentially a stateless people, that people that nobody seems to want. They are a minority Muslim uh, people in a majority Buddhist country. And what are humanity and inclusion's efforts involving? Yeah, uh, humanity and inclusion um, within the within the refugee camps there um, – their their efforts are, are what they do in every refugee camp. They they first identify who the most vulnerable people are, whether that be uh, the physical vulnerabilities. Um, they have staff uh, that also deal with psychological. So a lot of these folks have lived through some pretty horrible situations, uh, rape and torture, and and people you know being killed in front of their faces, family members, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and their villages being burned down, and and so. Um, uh, humanity inclusion has uh, has teams of psychologists to help these people uh, deal with this stuff, um, and of course, uh, you know, central to the mission is is getting people reintegrated back into their lives. So one of the things that 
um, humanity inclusion has done, for instance, for the for the children in uh, in these refugee camps, is they have gone about um, making the education centers accessible to folks mm-hmm. with with living with disabilities, so that kids can go to school. Um, and and it's it's a bigger challenge than you might think, especially if, for those of you who've seen pictures of the the, the Coup de Palong uh, refugee camp, which is it's a bit of an agglomeration of many camps and extensions. I mean, really, it's 900,000 people uh, in in an area, about 3,000 acres. So that's not a very big area. You know, Google that, what that is. Yeah. And um, and and these people are living with, with no economic means. And so it's very difficult. It's a mountainous region, uh, and they've cleared all the trees, and it rains a lot during monsoon season, and it's muddy, and people with disabilities have a tough time getting around. I'm speaking with Anthony Lemke. He is an actor, you know him from Dark Matter and Frankie Drake, also uh, an ambassador for humanity and inclusion. Now, I don't think that you've gone and put boots on the ground here for this particular uh, outreach, but you have. You went to Laos, right? I did. And Um, and, uh, tell me about what an eye-opener that must have been for you. Well, I think, um, I mean, it's, it's an eye-opener. I, it, the, the images that we've all seen, thanks to the great work of photographers, um, uh, you know, and videographers, we, we, I think we're familiar with the, the images, but something that, John, you said, um, that, that, that caution from the Médecins Sans Frontières, that this idea, if you, if you leave this place with more answers than questions, mm-hmm. you're kind of doing it wrong. And it's the same thing with... Um, with the Rohingya crisis. If if we hear uh, a narrative that the media gives us um, and we accept it, uh, it, that might be enough to motivate action. And action is needed, 100%. But it's not enough to motivate understanding. And, and, and going on the ground, um, I think, was I definitely left with, you know, 20 times more questions. Uh, and it is incredibly conflicting when you when you see a situation like that, uh, like Laos, where you understand that there aren't any clear stories, mm-hmm. there aren't any clear victims. And and what humanity and inclusion has done and what I love about them is they say, listen, there are never any clear stories. But the one thing that is clear is that that kid doesn't have a leg and he can't go to school. So I actually don't care about all the rest. I just care about that kid. And what can people do on December 3rd, Monday, December 3rd? Uh, it's the UN's International Day for Persons with Disabilities. Uh, the theme this year is empowering persons with disabilities and ensuring inclusiveness and equality. What can people do? <laughs> that sounds like it should be the theme every year. It does. I'm not sure <laughs> who, who comes up with these things. But fundamentally, yes. Um, <clears throat> listen, I, I think in, in terms of the Rohingya, it's, it's pretty simple. You know, everybody comes on on here from an NGO saying, give us money. Um, mm. But you have to understand uh, the situation of people in refugee camps. And and I this is personal to me because my mother-in-law was born in a refugee camp right. and lived the first three years of her life in a refugee camp. And, and where was that? Um, well, in a bunch of places, in yeah. Italy and in Germany after yeah. the Second World War. Right. And um, and so her parents, who I, I, I know and met, you there is no way to survive. There is no economy. There is no money that flows. And they're getting better, you know, uh, they're getting better at, at doing things like instead of receiving aid, they're do, doing things like we're going to give you a card. And that card allows you to go buy food from the locals. So at the very least, it starts m- motivating some form mm-hmm. of economy within these types of places. But what I'm getting to is 900,000 people, no jobs, no savings, no assets. 
there is only one way they exist, and that is off the generosity of the host nation and the international community, and that's you out there listening. Donate money. Find a way to get it, getting money to these people's genes so that they can eat and survive while you know, all the politicians and whatever figure out the crap, hopefully, that has put them in this situation. They can do that. The second thing you should do is um, – well, start with uh, hi.org. Go mm-hmm. there. Learn about some of the challenges that people face living with disabilities. We all get it in our society, but imagine in these places where um, there is no social infrastructure, what it must be like to live with a, a physical or mental uh, disability. Uh, it's, it's, it's crushing when you think about that. I'm speaking with Anthony Lemke, and it's hi.org. Hi.org is the, is the parent one, and that will yeah. lead you to all the, the national sites. And since I've seen you last, you've moved to Montreal. <laughs> yes. Back to, in Back fact. Back to, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it, that was a move from my children. Uh, we were, um, we've been in Ontario when we were shooting Dark Matter. Yeah. Uh, we were in, living in Prince Edward County, and my kids, um, they were born in Quebec. And, and for the French language, even though I am not Francophone, neither is my wife, the French language, um, is, it's very important to me that, that um, my children uh, have that heritage uh, because of where they were born. Mm-hmm. And so we had been driving them, uh, you know, 35 kilometers north to Trenton, Ontario to go to school in the airbase there, which was a fantastic experience for us all, especially living in the arts. You don't don't run into military folk. And then all of a sudden there you are living in the middle of that community. Um, And so my eldest uh, eldest is uh, now 12 years old. That is high school in in Quebec. So we had to make a decision and we decided to to end up uh, back there for her high school. Well, I'm sure all goes well. Montreal, beautiful city, and you can hear Love us uh, on the radio there, so <laughs> even better. My guests today have been Anthony Lemke. Uh, if you want to help contribute and make things better for uh, kids with disabilities all over the world, Monday, December 3rd, it's the UN's International Day for Persons with Disabilities. Uh, go to hi.org. You can make a donation there and help make a difference. Uh, Rick McGinnis, check out uh, his books, Music, Square, and Stars. They are books of his favorite photographs from the past 30 years. Buy all three. They'd make a great Christmas present at blurb.ca. And John Brooks, the new album, is called No One Travels Alone. It's available on Borealis Records and wherever fine music uh, is sold. Uh, Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, thanks to you for listening, and thanks to Andre on the board.